Amen. I am so thankful to the Lord. Amen. Praise God. It's great to have our visitors here today too. Amen. Thankful for them. Praise God. Praise God. Just where you're seated, would you just pray for a moment longer? Lord, I love you. I thank you. Jesus, you are so good to me. I worship you. Father, I give you all glory and honor today. Jesus, you are worthy of my praise. You deserve glory. You deserve my praise, Lord Jesus. I exalt you, Father. I lift your name on high. Jesus, there is none beside you. Jesus, there is none like you. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to turn this over to Brother Hart at this time. Let him minister to us. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to come down here. It's okay. Can we all say the blood? Feel, I felt the Holy Ghost with that song, and I think it's no coincidence either talking about a shield. I think one of the greatest ways that the Lord is our shield is by the blood. The enemy can't get to us through the blood applied to our lives. Once that blood is applied, puts up a wall, and the Lord says, nope. That's been covered. That's been taken care of. You have no area or no room to bring condemnation there because they've applied the blood over that thing. And um, I want to, sort of the same direction I felt like I was going to go for a few minutes, but uh, just with, with the worship and, and that song as well, I feel like the Lord... Um, sort of giving me direction and understanding on it. It's interesting, the, the role of, of Satan, if you, have your, if you have your Bibles, a couple of verses I want to look at here, and I feel like in a way this is somewhat of a continuation from, from Tuesday night, um, Elder Flowers Ministry, which if you haven't got the chance to listen to it, uh, you need to pull that up on the podcast. It was and some of the most anointed uh, ministry and flow that I've experienced uh, almost ever. And, um, and it's just been exposing the, exposing the tactics and the things of the enemy and the way that Satan would try to come against us because with the things rising up in the world, the enemy knows his time is short. He knows that if he's going to do things, he's got to do them quick. And, um, and so he's, one of his, the things he wants to do is try to disrupt the church, try to cause us to, to lose faith, as, as Sister Flowers mentioned, or, or cause us to get distracted by, by all the noise. And, um, and it's, it's, it's the same tactics that he's, he's used and had forever. Um, so Ezekiel 28 and 13, if you have your Bibles. Ezekiel 28, 13 says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was, whoa, was thy covering. Uh, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes, was prepared in the in thee in the day that thou was created, and thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Make a note of that there. He was originally his intended purpose was he was an anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. And we know from Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 14, 
we know what that iniquity was that, that caused Satan to fall and be cast down like lightning. That iniquity was that he wanted to raise himself up in the place of God. And he, there's, there's in that chapter in Isaiah, there's what's it's called the five I wills of Satan. And he says, I will exalt myself or I will ascend on high and, and I will, a couple other things, I'll you know, have my throne, I'll come into heaven and all these things that he was trying to put himself in the place of God, trying to, with his own will and desire, override the will of God. And of course, obviously, he, he failed. God had zero tolerance for that. And he had one chance, and that was it. And he's kicked out. Um, and now we know from other places, like, like Job, what he's, what he's doing, what his purpose is. He's, he's in the world, right, just walking to and fro, continuing. And in, in as Elder Flowers talked about Tuesday night, he's continuing in those ways of subtlety as the characteristics of the snake that he uh, that he possessed in the garden, he he continues in that in that way of subtlety, just going to and fro in the earth, seeing where he can influence, what he can what he can mess up, <laughs> where he can cause cause havoc and create chaos, right? Because the opposite of of order is chaos, and everything in the plan of God has has an order, has a structure. Um, and it's man there's it's so it's so amazing the the things of god there's nothing in this world nothing that god does it's by accident um and that's that's very powerful so the iniquity of satan his desire to raise himself up the place of god and um looking again let's go back sort of where we were tuesday night um book of genesis chapter 3 get there. Genesis chapter 3, we'll start with verse, we'll start with verse 1. Again, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read quickly here. Genesis 3, 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord, uh, which the Lord God had made. And so we, we understand that's why Satan chose to use this as his, essentially as his vehicle of deception. And he said unto the woman, uh, you, uh, yea, has God said, you shall not eat the tree of, of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat of the trees, uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So Satan, of course, testing here. He's seeing, he's, I, I feel like he was testing and seeing how, how was the order of things here in the garden. He's saying, how's, how's, how well and good is this relationship between Adam and God and then, and then Adam and, and his wife? And um, we know that in a, in a way that Scripture gives the blame to Adam for sin entering the world. And so there was some fault there uh, on Adam's part, whether it was communication of the Word of God that, that God spoke or whether it was just his, his watch and his covering over his wife and over that garden. But irregardless, the, the serpent came and found a, he found an opening. He found an avenue and an area that he could come in and influence and deceive. And um, I don't know if, you know, maybe Adam and Eve had an argument earlier that day or she was upset with him. I don't know if that, that's the case. Um, maybe, maybe not. But regardless, there was some something that, that he was able to fit in there to cause her to, to be beguiled. And we see in the book of James that, you know, her just looking at that tree and, and desiring it was not the sin. Obviously, it was her acting on that. But we see that with temptation, the way that temptation works is we're drawn away of, of our lusts, and then we're enticed. And so we're drawn away by what we see or what we desire. Essentially, that's, you know, lust is made out to be, uh, in a lot of cases, a sexual thing. But it's, it's literally just a desire that we have, um, and more specifically, a desire that's forbidden, as where, where the term the forbidden fruit comes from. Because it was something that she knew good and well she wasn't supposed to 
partake of, it was forbidden, and that's what, that's what made it be a lust. And so Satan knew this, and Satan knew it, it probably looked good, it looked shiny, it looked, uh, I don't know if, what it was, if it was an apple, or I, I like to think it was probably something really cool and unique that we don't have anymore that could only exist in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but irregardless of what it was, it, it appealed to her eyes as well. The thought of tasting it and seeing what, what really will happen when I eat of this fruit of a tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And so it's interesting because before this point, there was only one, it, it would seem there was only one will and desire in the garden, um, because there no no sin had entered the world, there was no there was no sin nature yet, um, and I've I've thought about this a little bit. Is, did sin enter the world once Satan came? And uh, but based on scripture, it was it didn't enter until till Adam allowed it to, so it was there lurking, fi- waiting to find its opening, um, but it hadn't yet made its way through the door yet, and so there was there was one essentially one will, one desire. In the garden, and that was we see this pattern here in um, continuing in this chapter that it, it would it would seem that Adam and God had together, and that was a pattern of walking together, communing together in in the cool of the day there in the garden. That was their place of of meeting. That was that was Adam, and that was Adam's purpose as a creature. He was he was assigned to name name the animals, name the creatures. Uh, but beyond that, he didn't really, I don't think he had a nine to five job. I don't think he, I mean, other than him and his relationship with his wife, it was his relationship with God, his walk with God. that was the main priority, the main purpose. And of course, that was one of the things that the serpent wanted to disrupt. And so he came and he presented to Eve, he presented a choice. And he said, look, really, you know, you've had, one, you've had one way of life, you've had one way of walking, uh, only one desire because you've had no other desires presented to you yet. But he said, but I want to bring you a choice, show you that actually you have, you have more than one option. And I, um, I can't help but think of, it's a silly example, but um, and this, we see this everywhere in, in life, but... Um, in, in the, the movie, the story of the Lion King, <laughs> right? When, when the, I don't remember their names, but when the father lion shows the, I think it's Simba, he shows Simba, right, all the kingdom, and he says, all this is yours where the light touches, and Simba's like, well, what about that part that the light's not touching? And he said, well, that, you don't go there, right? That's, that's off limits. That's a place of, of danger, of sin, and obviously, what was the first thing Simba did? He goes straight to that forbidden area, right? Because he realized, wait, I, yeah, all this is mine. It's, it's beyond, like, the expanses of what I can see. It's, it's beautiful, and that other place is dark. But I have an option. I have a choice. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off that example. But if we stayed on it, uh, this, the nature of sin was already in the world in Simba's time, too. <laughs> So he gave in. He already had that effect, right, on him of, of a nature of sin. So, of course, his, his natural tendency, his proclivity would, would be towards darkness, towards, towards this thing that he was told he shouldn't do because he had an option. He had the choice that he could make. And this is the very thing that Satan introduced to the world, the same thing that he fell to trying to make his own choice, raising himself up, trying to exalt himself, the iniquity, right, that was found in his heart. That's the same thing, essentially, that Eve fell to, Adam and Eve. They disobeyed, and, and it's also because, it's crazy, because um, I think it's here in verse, somewhere in this chapter, Satan tells them, he's like, no, actually, God's not telling you the truth. Once you eat this fruit, you'll be like God's, right? So he's telling them, he's telling them the exact same thing that he wanted, trying to get them in the exact same way that he fell, presenting this, this iniquity to them. And um, so they do it, of course, and we'll continue reading here. Verse 6, um, the woman saw the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to her eyes. 
See, she was enticed by, by this snare, this trap that was presented to her. It was, it was to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave it also to her husband. He did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened. And this is, this is a really interesting kind of passage here, and I'm going to present sort of a, a thought that I have on it. Um, but their, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, this, is, this part here has been something that's perplexed me for a long time. Of If they ate of this tree of knowledge and good and evil, why was the first thing that was revealed to them was their, their nakedness? Um, God wouldn't have them be living in sin. It, it wasn't that their nakedness was sin. Um, what I believe, and this is just what I believe, um, what I believe is that, and we see examples of this like with Moses. Moses, he went up on the mountaintop with God, which I find interesting that there in Ezekiel when it talks about, um, when it talks about Satan, it says that he was on the mountain of God and he was in the midst of the fiery stones. And, um, but, so we see Moses on the mountain with God and he spends all this time with God and then God gives him these t- tablets, these commandments and then he comes down and his face shines with the glory that he was just fellowshipping with, the glory that he was in the midst of. And, um, of course, that's a result of, of the law. That's a result of the obedience and then the proximity to, to an almighty and holy God, a glorious God. And I believe that here in the garden, before sin had ever entered the world, before there was ever any darkness in the world, I believe that their covering was the glory of God. They were the direct creation of, of God, and there was no sin in them. There was no fault in them. And so, again, like I said, this is just a theory. Um, and so I think when that, when that sin entered their lives, when it entered their hearts, as soon as that happened, the glory started to fade. And once that glory faded, their bodies that at one point shined, possibly, <laughs> then they realized the true flesh that they were walking in. And what's the next step? What's the next action that they took? Well, they went and they tried to cover it on their own. And it's crazy because this is, this is part of the nature of, of Satan was to cover. He was the anointed cherub that covered. And that got in his head a little bit too much because he forgot whose glory that he was covering he forgot whose glory he was representing in heaven and all the stones that were on him that shined the glory of God he he got a little bit of a big head and thought that that was his own doing his own works and so Adam and Eve that glory fades from them and they realize the flesh that they're in that they're walking in there they see their nakedness and so the first thing that they do is say we need to cover it and of course all they can do is do something in in the natural and so they go and find the first thing they can think of, and it's fig leaves. And they get fig leaves, sew them together, and create aprons of, of covering. And then verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So they knew he was coming. They knew this was the place they were supposed to meet him. And they knew they had messed up. So they hid themselves for the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Have you eaten of the tree where I, whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman made me do it. <laughs> The woman who thou hast given to me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? He gives him a curse. And um, trying to find it here. We know the story. God then has a creature killed. I don't know if it specifically says what it was. Verse 14. No, it's not 14. Anyway, God, so God has this creature killed, and he says, look, you tried to cover yourselves in the natural now that you've sinned. 
you tried to you tried to fix it and make it make it good with your own abilities, um, just with things that you could access. But God said, of course, we know the the prophetic nature of this. God said there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be blood that was shed that can apply to your lives to truly to truly cover this sin. And I feel like in in our life, in my life, we can we can try to cover up things that we've done and that we feel bad about. We have the same tendency and the same nature now, right? That we we've messed up and we've we've failed and so the enemy gets in our head and says, "Okay, you better you better hide yourself from God cuz he's going to be mad, he's going to be disappointed and and you know, but but at the same time you better keep going to church otherwise those people are going to be wondering what's up and they're going to be disappointed and so what do we do, right? We in in the natural we we if we don't apply the blood in the natural we we put things on our face, we we cover ourselves and and so many different ways that we try to naturally cover ourselves. But the Bible says that the that love covers a multitude of sin. And the only the only love that can do that is is the love of God. And how how was that how was that love initially expressed into this world? It was by the blood of God, by the blood of the Lamb. Right? He, he came as the spotless lamb, as that sacrifice that said, look, I know that, and, and it's amazing because we see this pattern, and, and I'm saying all of this, of course, to draw attention to the blood, but at the same time, because I believe, I believe we're in a, in a time and a place where God wants to take us into, into a greater glory, into a deeper place of glory where, where his glory is manifested where it's not our flesh that's seen anymore by anyone or even ourselves, but it's, it's only His glory that shines and, and that reflects. And we see the plan of the tabernacle, and it's kind of this process of how we get to God and how in the Old Testament they approached God, this, this structure, this order that God created. And it always started with a sacrifice. It always started with blood. And that you could not enter into the holy place until there had been bloodshed, until you'd shed blood and then until you had examined your life there in the brazen laver and then crossed through that first, first veil into the holy place. And, and then, then there was another veil, right? There was another veil that, that they couldn't pass through naturally. They couldn't pass through in their flesh. And so they would have to walk there. And, and I've heard it said that it was... It was approximately six paces to that veil, and then the seventh pace was, was God, where God got involved and brought them through, and I don't know if that's true or not, but sounds cool. And so, but it, regardless, they got to that veil, and it was only God that could, could get them there. It was, but it was, only by, it was only by initially the blood being applied that they could even enter the holy place. And then it was the blood being activated on their lives and continuing to stay on their skin, on their bodies. Once they got there, they, they were covered in blood. It, wasn't a, it, was, it was orderly, but it wasn't a pretty process to approach the most holy place of God. So they came in there, they did their, their things, and they were made amends you know, for their sin with that sacrifice. And, and God would bring them into that most holy place where there was the mercy seat mercy seat where the cherubs were their wings were stretched and and covering covered just in the same way that satan initially was the cherub who covered in the same way that by the blood of god that he covers our lives and allows us to then get to that place of holiness that place of his glory and so i i don't know where where you're at if if you've been uh, obviously the way to if, if you don't know it already the way to initially have the blood applied is in the waters of baptism we have to be baptized in in jesus name to have his blood applied to our lives to even be able to have this access to the most holy place sure we can have a you know an outer courts type of relationship with him we can we can get close to him or we can feel the you know, the children of Israel, they could see the glory come down on the tabernacle and, 
And I'm sure they could experience it to an extent. They could experience it in a way. But none of them except for the priests could actually walk through and go into the, I, I guess you could say, the greatest concentration of his presence. They couldn't get to where they were tangibly in his presence without being the priest. But then, of course, we know Jesus, when he did present his body as the spotless lamb and to cover our sins once and for all, we know that at that same moment, the veil was torn in that tabernacle, giving us access now through into his presence. And it all starts with the blood being applied to our lives not trying, to, not trying to cover our mistakes or make good or make amends of our mistakes by our own actions or by our own abilities, by, by our, our own fig leaves, but getting into a place of the presence of God. And, and I feel like that because we can, once we've been, I've, I've been baptized myself for, I don't even know how long now, most of my life, uh, at least half of it, but I realize that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm always living in the glory of God. doesn't mean I'm always living in the most holy place of God, right? And because we, we see scriptures like in Romans that say we have to daily, we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. So we have to come to him and say, okay, God, look, I messed up again. I went again the way of the serpent, trying to raise myself up and my own abilities and my iniquity, trying to do my own thing because cause I saw the options, because I saw that there was two different ways that I could go. And he says, okay, blood's back applied. And we, we, we then begin to make our process, this, these steps into most holy place. And I know we, we've talked about it before. I think it's Corinthians chapter, two, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, maybe it's 2nd. But when it talks about, when it gives the example of the story of Moses being on the mountain and his face shining and, and that he put a veil over his face to hide the glory from the people, to hide that glory that was, that was fleeting. And, and the scripture makes mention, it says, if, if the, if the, testament i think it says of 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 old was had glory then how much more will the will the new testament how much more will this new covenant have once we enter into it and so i believe that i believe in this time god's calling us I've, i think i mentioned a few weeks ago i i just feel this call to consecration and we hear we hear it preached a lot that that starts with an altar right it starts with place of sacrifice a place of surrender uh, but we don't know for me personally even today I don't always know what that looks like or how to actually apply that but and I, I said it then too I part of part of the way that looks for me is is praying every day and saying God I plead your blood on this thing plead your blood on this thing in this area of my life because if I'm not careful I'll try to cover that thing or fix that thing in my own ability but I know once the blood's been applied to my life that it can then extend and cover to every area of my life. And once that blood's applied, then I can make that journey. I can take that progression all the way into the holy place where people aren't seeing me anymore. But his glory is then manifested again in the world. And that's what's going to draw people to him. See it in Romans chapter 8. If we're led by the Spirit of God... If, if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I don't want to continually make the decisions and do the things that Adam and Eve did where they gave in to the lust and the desire of their flesh. But I want, my, I want the desire of my heart to be given to me of God. And then I want, I want to make my delight in Him. I want Him to be my delight, Him to be my desire. And go back to that place that Adam and Eve had of walking with God daily in the garden because we see that that's the pattern that it's it's as simple as that that God's looking for is him applying his blood to our life and then us just walking with him in the spirit there's a few chapters later in Genesis you see Enoch who walked with God 
And he walked with him in such a place of faith that he was not. He was taken. He was, he was raptured, as it talks about in Hebrews. And then a few more chapters, once the, once the earth had gotten so wicked that their thoughts were only evil continually, God found one other man, and it was Noah who found grace in the eyes of God. And it said, and he walked with God. He walked with God in a place of pleasing God, and realizing that he, his sins, his life, he can't fix and he can't cover on his own. But it takes and it requires the continuing of closeness of relationship, a close walking with the only one who can cover our sins. Amen. Elder. Amen. Thank you, Brother Hart. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. I want you to just look there quickly. As, actually, I can't, you can't do both. First, I want you to close your eyes. This is an exercise I felt like the Lord wanted us to do. Close your eyes. Nobody's going to come up and smack you. But I just want you to get used to this feeling for just a second. Because I want... I feel like the Lord wants to ask us a question about this. So close your eyes. Just leave them closed. Can't see anything, can you? I, I can't. I just kicked the pulpit. You can't see anything, can you? Now, the, uh, I had the, uh, while Brother Hart was ministering, I felt the Lord just tell me this and, and have everybody close their eyes and ask you, how much easier would it be for you to live the rest of your life like this? And probably like you, I thought, what do you mean easier? This is difficult. I don't think I can make it home like this. Uh, I, could, I couldn't make it to work like this. I w life would be different. I'd, be, I'd struggle to make myself a sandwich like this. I don't know that I could live like this. It wouldn't be easier. But then the Lord said, no, I mean spiritually. How much easier would it be for you to live your life spiritually like this? and not sin how much easier would it be to live like this and not sin or how much more work would you how much more trouble would you have to go through if you were like this to sin to find sin to find ways to sin now you can open your eyes I feel like what the Lord was saying is it's about our eyes it's about what we see what I see and how I see it really determines what, I'm, what my life is, what I'm doing in my life, what I'm, what I'm allowed to do, what I, where I let myself go, where do I let myself, what do I do? It is all through our, if you woke up tomorrow and you just decided, now let me just live this day like this, you would realize real quick, my whole life is tied into my vision and what I see. Everything that I see. Matthew 6.22, it says, The light of the body is the eye. My body, what's, what takes place in my life, in my body. It only gets there through light in my eyes. Now, the Lord did not make any of us here so severely vision impaired that we can't see. We can all see. Amen? If, if, if we had that physical impairment, this would be a different story. But because the Lord chose to give you vision, the Lord chose to give you the faculties in your eyes that allow you to see and process information based on what you see, well, I can't just decide, no, I don't want to see anymore. So no, instead, I, what I have to do is, what am I going to do with what I see? How am I going to process? How am I going to live knowing that this is the way God chose for me to live? And the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Oh, the script, this is Jesus speaking here in Matthew. And he, if... Uh, if I want my body to be full of light, meaning spiritual light. 
then I need my eye to be single. Now, just think about that for a second. It says, if your eye is single, your body is full of light. The next verse says, but if thine eye be evil. Okay, so now we got parallels here. Evil versus single. If your eye is single, it's your body is full of light. If your eye is evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore that light is in thee, be darkness. So I, I liken this to I can see, I have the, the vision, the ability to see, but just because I'm seeing doesn't mean I'm seeing everything righteous and right and holy. Because it can get into my eyes and get into my body and cause it to either have light in it or darkness in it. If your eye is single, what you see is going to bring light into your body. If your eye is evil, what you see is going to bring darkness into your body. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to try to do it quickly. If the light that's in you is darkness, how great that darkness. Now you don't have to turn there, but just remember Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The light that was in the earth, that was in the world, was darkness. Remember, because later it says, and God said, let there be light. But there was heaven and earth created, and there was darkness. Remember, the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. So there was stuff here before God said, let there be light. The stuff that was here. Now, I don't have time to go take you back through all those passages, but in Ezekiel and, and in Isaiah and it, all these places, it talks about Lucifer. It talks about the angel being kicked out of heaven and to the ground. Everywhere, every time you see that, it says to the ground. You will fall to the ground. You were kicked out of heaven down to the ground or down to the pit or down to hell. Each one of those is talking about where he had to go when he was kicked out of heaven, kicked out of the presence of God. He was kicked out, and then our time frame starts. What we know it as, the things we relate to, including heaven and earth, our earth, our world. But here, there was darkness. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The void, the nothingness, it really wasn't just nothing. Just like if you close your eyes, that doesn't mean there's nothing. No, you still hear, you can still touch, you still feel. So, so there are things, but it's darkness. Darkness was in the world. Uh, this is how we know the snake got possessed it, because if you just if you act like Genesis 1 verse 1 is the beginning of all time and nothing ever happened before then then you have to ask the question how did this serpent how did the devil get into the serpent so God created the world God created the 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 light God created the the animals and God created the humans well where in there did he create the devil he was already created. How did he get here? He was already sent here. Genesis 1 verse 1 is the start of how we relate to the world. How humans came into the picture. And all that God created that impacts us. But here already, and I said this on Tuesday, the serpent was the most subtle, and that's, that's why Satan decided to use the serpent and not an elephant, because the elephant's not very subtle. But the spirit that wanted to get into Eve's ear to speak chose 
a subtle animal. You don't, we don't get to just say, now I, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but we don't get to just say, okay, I'm going to close my eyes and live my life the rest, the rest of my life this way so it's harder to sin. No, because if God wanted you that way, that's how he would have made you. The scripture does say, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. But so that means whatever you're seeing that's coming into your eyes that's offending you or causing you to sin, you have to take action to not see that thing anymore. If your hand offends you, cut it off. That means if whatever you're doing with your hand is causing you to sin, you have to, you have to literally take action to not do that anymore. I didn't, I didn't bring any sharp instruments here today. So you don't get to come to me and say, Elder, I just need you to cut my hands off or gouge my eyes out. That's not my calling. Thank the Lord. But here what we are doing spiritually, and I believe this is a part of my calling, to tell you when you're looking at something and it's bringing darkness into your life, you have to take action to not look at it anymore. Your, let your eye be single, which means simple, whole, not complicated, not complex. The more things that I'm looking at that have more different nature and different reasons why I have to see them and process them, then I'm going to have to think more and it gets more complicated. The way that I do this is I let the Lord be in charge of my eyes and when I see something, let Him tell me, I don't like that, don't look at that anymore. Okay, that's simple. That's really simple. And then doing so, I can get eyes that are, as the Scripture says, are single. If your eye is single, then everything that you see, the light that's coming into you, will fill your body with light. If I choose not to do that, then I, then I still see all these different things and the signals that they're sending, that's not clean, that's not simple, that's evil. It's filling my body with darkness. Now, we, we have to go before God and say, I don't... I, I, you know the sum of everything that I've seen and what's happened in me. And you know how much of my body is light and how much of it's darkness. I'm talking about what's going on on the inside. Lord, you know that even better than I do. If I have darkness in here, I want it to be changed to light. If I have light in here, I want to preserve that and keep it light. And not let darkness get in here. And the Lord will help us. If we let him. If we ask him to. I don't have the ability on my own. I, talk, uh, uh, I didn't want to go there, but I have to. On Tuesday night, I talked about a song that came on the Christian radio that offended my spirit. I don't have the ability... To, to start looking through the channel of the, all the songs that play and say, okay, that's good, that's not. That's good, that's not. I'm good with this. No, I can't. I'll listen to that one. I'll, I can't do that. I don't have the time, first of all, or the ability. Because if you want to get it into, okay, the words, listen, here's the lyrics. And it says this, oh, oh that's a bad word, so we're not going to listen to that one. Okay, so does that mean every song that ever uses that word? Don't, I don't have the ability to do this. I instead let the Lord tell me, hey, that's darkness. That's not going to let light into your life. That's going to let darkness into your life. And my job becomes simple. I'm just listening for that and then obeying it. it, can, it people, trust me, people will try to make it a lot more complicated than that. Because they'll ask you something, this really, really, really difficult question called why. 
And if you fall into that trap and think, I don't really feel like I have a good answer to that question, then you feel like you have the wrong answer. But I don't have to explain this. I don't have, this is not a debate. You know, when you get up, when we pass away and we get wherever our bodies, our spirits are going, you know, it's not like you're going to be put on the debate stage and it's you and it's the devil and you're going to be like, ah, oh, let me try to remember everything that, you know, all the reasons why I did this and didn't, I feel like this is sin and that. It's not a debate. God is our Father. And there's this really simple word called obey that I, as His child, I'm charged with. If you love me, keep my commandments. I will be your God. You will be my child. I will take care of you. That's all I want. That simplifies my spiritual walk so much. And then, if, if, if I'm in those situations where I'm asked why and why and who, you know, and I feel like I don't have the, the right answers to the right people, then the, the, the issue now is not that I'm taking the wrong test, it's that I'm hanging around the wrong people. There's not one person on this earth that I have to feel like I, ha I, I have to be able to convince them that I'm right about God and the Bible so that I can make it to heaven. There's not. If I lose this debate, if I lose this spiritual battle, then I'm not going to make it into heaven. That, there's nowhere that says that. Oh. If you got a boss that you feel like I can't work for them, you know, or I can't bring up God, or I can't have these kind of conversations because I don't have all the right answers and all the right ammunition for all the right questions. The issue is not the questions. The issue is not the Bible. The issue is why are you putting yourself in that situation? I'm just trying to hear from God, all right? I'm not telling anybody to quit your job. I'm not telling anybody you got there by, by the wrong... I'm not telling you that. I'm just trying to tell you what the Lord says. He's not going to put you in a place to shame you. He's not going to put you in a place to make you look like a fool, like you don't know what you're saying or what you're talking about. I wouldn't do that to my children. And I'm an earthly father. He's a heavenly father. He knows. I want my eye, I want my eyes, what I see, to let in the things of His Spirit. To let in the things that He wants me to see. So He can make me the way He wants me. Close your eyes again. Keep them closed for just a minute. Now, what, what, what's the significance of this? It means I'm having to rely on every other aspect of what's going on around me. All my other senses. If I have my eyes closed and all of a sudden, you know, I started to feel a burning sensation in my foot, I would know I need, to move, I need to move that foot. If my eyes were open, the first thing I'd do is look and see, okay, well, that's why. But with my eyes closed, now I'm, le I'm leaning on these other senses. And spiritually, this is what I want. Everybody's eyes are closed, right? Spiritually, this is what I want the gate to my spirit to look like. It's closed. Not darkness, closed. And now I will only let in things that the Lord says, this is light. Let that in. This is me. This is of me. Let that in. This is pure. It's not going to harm you. Let that in. 
But as I continue, if, if that's not me and I'm open to everything, then now I don't know, is that light or is that darkness? Is that of God or is that not of God? I'm going to let it into my spirit and then we'll just see how it feels after that. I'm going to let it into my spirit. I'm going to dwell on it. I'm going to entertain it. And then I'm going to see if I can find it to get it out of me if it's not of God. I don't want to go there. I want the Lord to be my guide, to be my light. Amen. Why don't we stand? With your eyes open if you need to. We say this a lot in church. We say every eye closed, right? Usually we say that it's time to pray or whatever. When I do that, it's because it helps me. I, I wouldn't want to have to keep my eyes open every time I pray. That would be a challenge. Because now I, I'm praying, but I'm thinking about Brother Anthony's white shirt. Or I'm praying, but I'm thinking about Brother Troy's blue tie. See, I got all these different signals that are coming in. So we say, every eye closed, because that helps me focus on his spirit. Helps me focus on that sensitivity. That's not a far leap from just living every day that way. Lord, I want these eyes to be closed, and then I want my spiritual sensitivity to be engaged with you so that you would show me something and say, this is good. This is pure. Or, you know what the greater thing is? He can then show us that's darkness. If you see that, you know that's not of me. That's darkness. And that's how we walk with God. That's how we learn to be like him. Right, let's do it. Every eye closed. Now I want you to engage your spirit with God. I believe he's going to talk to us. I believe he's going to speak to us. But engage your spirit. Lord, I'm cutting out every other sense, every other sensibility and sensitivity that I have, God. I'm giving that to you, Jesus. I'm going to let you speak to me. I'm going to let you speak to me, Lord Jesus. My ears are open to you. My spirit is engaged with your spirit. God, I want to be quickened by the power of your word. I want my spirit, Lord, to be quickened, my inner man to hear you. God, I want my body to be full of light. I want my spirit to be full of light. God, I pray right now by your help that I would shut off the darkness. God, anything that's leading to more darkness in my life, you would illuminate that to me, God, and show me for the purpose of removing it. Lord, if it offends me, I want it removed. Lord, if it offends you and our walk together, I want it removed. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I want an eye that is single. I want an eye that is simple and whole, God, that operates and functions properly as you created it to do. Come on, this front is open. This altar's open. I'm going to encourage you. Let the Lord do this work in us today. Let the Lord do this work in us. Lord, I feel you cleansing me. Lord, I feel you washing me. God, I feel you illuminating to my spirit the things that are only of you, that which is true, God, and clean and pure, and that which is pleasing to you, Lord Jesus. I receive it right now, Father. I receive it right now. Help me to walk in it, Lord. Help me to walk in it, Lord. Not as in darkness, but as in light. Jesus, as in the light. I want to walk in the light, God. The scripture says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are hidden in darkness. God, I don't want any darkness in me. I don't want that great darkness in me, Lord. I want to be full of light. I want to be full of light. Come on, pray in the name of Jesus. Talk to the Lord. I want to be See you. 
Praise God. Wonderful ministry here today. I'd like to uh, share a little bit about Jeremy Casa. I know he's coming next week. I'm very excited about this. I've watched his ministry develop over the last several years now. He's from the island of Chuk. C-H-U-U-K. That's a word. The island of Chuk. Micronesian Islands. Look it up on Google Maps. It's just a dot in the middle of the ocean. He's from there. Now, his mother wanted him as a little boy to get off the island. Sent him to America to live with his uncle in St. Louis. His uncle was going to church. He had surrendered his heart to God. And so Jeremy went to live with his uncle. And his uncle took him to church and he began to surrender his life to God. Later, Jeremy went into the military. And his uncle kind of fell by the wayside. So years later, Jeremy has a burden to go back to help his uncle. And so he arranged and made the trip, bought an airline ticket, flew back there. His uncle picked him up at the airport. <clears throat> and his uncle says to him, don't invite me to church, I ain't going. And Jeremy says, well, I just came to see you, uncle. I feel uh, respect and honor to you and I you know for what you did for me as a young boy and so he said I, I'm, I'm not going to bother you about that well just don't ask me about it I'm not going to church so they go home and you know into the evening and and uh, Jeremy says he, he can't sleep so he goes out uh, and lays down on the couch in the living room of his uncle's house and he, he brings up a, a recording of somebody preaching and he lays it there and he's listening and, and Jeremy falls asleep. And the audio recording is still playing. He said in the morning he looks over and his uncle comes out with a tie on. He said, get him, get dressed, Jeremy, we're going to church. It's been interesting to watch, and his mother came over from the island of Chuk, and we've since met his sisters. What we didn't know until later on, there's a whole group of young people in Tacoma. They're all Chukis from the island of Chuk. And so the Lord is really using Jeremy in reaching out, not just to the Chukis, but to a lot of Ireland, islanders that are in the Kent, Seattle area. And uh, he really does have a powerful ministry. His, he is spiritual. He prays in his apartment and people come knocking on the door. And so I am thrilled that you are going to get to meet he and Lindsay. His wife, Lindsay, we watched her receive the Holy Ghost in Puyallup when she was five years old. One night, uh, it was my daughter Kaylee broke through the doors of the sanctuary and said, Dad, all my girls are getting or these kids are getting the holy ghost in my class we all went up there there was a bunch of there was just a bunch of little five-year-olds and they were all praying and receiving the baptism of the holy ghost and Lindsay was one of them and so they've been very special through the years to watch and observe as god has matured them so please come with anticipation for the youth whoever is all invited i'm coming what's the age limit Saturday at 3 o'clock, if you feel youthful, if you want to feel youthful, if you're dying to feel young again, okay, 3 o'clock, come and be a part. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. God bless you. Our young people have been working hard, so I think it would be good if we show up, everybody, all of us, Saturday at 3 o'clock to support them. And you will receive ministry like it was told tonight. Amen. You're dismissed. Uh, we do have some Red Bulls and Sister Juanita. Thank you. I saw churros, it looked like, and something else over there. So everybody get some. Amen.